Amen. Isn't that amazing? Why don't we give the Lord a hand this morning? I, I had planned to preach from Colossians chapter 1, which is what I'm going to do, but I planned to do that last night before the baptisms because it's this beautiful little summary of the gospel that we find tucked away in the book of Colossians. You remember Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing from prison, likely imprisonment in Rome, and the gospel's going out from Rome even though he's in prison. He's writing letters to churches. He's sharing the gospel even under arrest, and God's doing great things. But he gets word back from this young church at Colossae that there's some false teachers that are infiltrating. There's some, there's some false teachers who are trying to undermine the sufficiency or the adequacy of Christ for our salvation. And they're trying to say, look, you've got you've to make it about you. It's not about what Jesus has done. Jesus could be fun and in the background, but you need to uh, do these feasts and these festivals and eat these things and not eat these things and drink these things and don't drink these things. And they've basically reinvented a religion about themselves rather than about Jesus. And so in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians, if you've ever memorized a paragraph of Scripture, this is one to memorize. You say, man, I've never done that. I've only memorized John 3.16 or 1 John 1, nine or Romans 5.8. I want to memorize a paragraph of Scripture. I would urge you to make this the first paragraph of Scripture that you ever memorize. It's all about the sufficiency of Jesus, that Jesus is God, that He's God in the flesh, that He's got all the fullness of God, that He wrapped Himself in our humanity and took on our death so that when He died and was raised from the dead, He'd be the firstborn from the dead. In other words, you trust in Him because He's God in your place, God will raise you up on the last day with Him. So verses 15 through 20 are all about Jesus is enough. He's enough to rescue you. He's enough to save you. He's very God of God. And then in verses 21 through 23, we get this great little summary of the gospel, which is what I was going to preach and then urge people to trust Christ and be baptized. But we put baptisms on the front end because rain was on the way. But perhaps today... In the hearing of the gospel, someone here would say, I need that gospel. I need to trust in that Jesus. I, I hope that will be the case. Would you join me as we read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was promised in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Would you pray with me? God, thank You for Your presence here this morning. Thank You for what You're doing in our church. God, thank You for... Uh, the guests who are worshiping with us by way of the live stream, the guests who are worshiping with us in the sanctuary. God, the, the many guests that we've seen over the last several months, it's a strange and unusual time, and yet uh, we have been blessed, God, to be able to worship, to gather, to hear your word, to see people come to saving faith in Christ. And so we give you praise that even in the middle of a global pandemic, that Jesus is still reigning and ruling in righteousness uh, God, that you've not been caught by surprise by this, 
Lord, make us open to Your purposes in this season and cause us, God, to long for, uh, to hunger for uh, righteousness through the person of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you from this text, these three verses, I want to share with you four gospel essentials, four gospel essentials that we see in these three verses. The first is our problem. We see that in verse 21. The second thing we see in the first half of 22 is God's provision. The next thing we see in the second half of verse 22 is God's purpose for His provision. And then finally we see the call from the Apostle Paul to persevere in the faith. So our problem, God's provision, the purpose of God's provision, and the call to persevere. First, to understand the Gospel, we need to recognize our problem. The Gospel... The word, the very word gospel means good news. And that's a bit of an understatement, right? I mean, the gospel is not just good news, like, hey, you know, I got to lay on my test. Woo, that's good news. It's, it's not just good news, it's great news. It's the best news ever. But in order to see it as the best news ever, you've got to understand that it is the story of what God has done to overcome the worst news ever. Verse 21 begins, although you were formerly alienated. I struggle to say that word formerly. I don't know why, but formerly is an important word in verse 21. Formerly means for someone who belongs to Jesus, there was a time that they did not belong to Jesus, that there was a formerly to their life. It means that in anyone's life who's a Christian, there was a time that she was not saved, but rather was alienated, distant, strange to the things of God. You see, to be a Christian, it's not enough to be born into a Christian family. It's not enough to have a a dad or a grandfather or a great-grandfather who was a preacher. It's not enough to be even dunked underwater or sprinkled with water. You must be born again. Jesus says in John 3 that we've got to be changed from the inside out. We've got to be given new life from the Spirit of God. This is because we are alienated in our natural state, in our human state, uh, upon our, our first birth, being born into the world, we are born as those who are alienated, estranged, lacking a relationship with God. Before we trust in Christ, before we turn from our sin and give our lives to Jesus, our sin alienates us from the love of God. You say, well, what is sin? Sin is anything that we say, anything that we do, anything that we think that displeases God. Did you know sin is a terrible little thing. It, it will twist your mind. It will twist your heart. It will cause you to rationalize things that are contrary to God's will. It will cause you to put your opinion over God's truth. It prevents you from enjoying the presence of God. Sin makes us lonely. It makes us loners. It turns us inward and into people who don't live for Jesus and for the glory of God and in the love of God, but rather those who live for ourselves. Sin keeps us away from the joy of knowing the love of God. It alienates us. But that's not all. It gets worse before it gets better. Verse 21 tells us, We were not just alienated from God, but we were also hostile toward God. Do you see that word hostile? Alienation is one thing, but hostility is a whole other level of separation, right? I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be 
uh, selected to be on the kickball team. You remember at rec time, they'd divide into two teams. They'd pick captains. I never got to be the captain, and I was never picked early. Now, you can try to figure out why that was. It's because I wasn't very coordinated, but, man, I, I wanted to be good. And so uh, they would pick the teams, and it'd be Joe and Bobby and Tom, Harry, Larry, and then, you know, down towards the end, all right, I guess I'll take Daniel, and I'll put him in right field, and he'll throw the game away again when he misses the ball, the line drive, and we lose. And in that process of picking teams, I was alienated from a team, right? I wasn't on either team, and I could feel the distance from the team, but I didn't, I didn't hate them. I wanted to be on their team. I wasn't hostile toward them. I wanted somebody to pick me. But in verse 21, we're told not only were we separated from the love of God, we didn't want anything to do with God. We didn't even want to be on His team. Hostile means opposed to, antagonistic toward, an enemy of. In Philippians 3.18, Paul says unbelievers are enemies of the cross of Christ. They want nothing to do with God and their need for His grace. Before we encounter God's love in Jesus, we are strangers to God. We are enemies of God. This means that sinners are under God's wrath, His righteous anger against all sin. John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on Him. Our hostility toward God is proven by the sins that we commit. That we were, do you see that in verse 21? Engaged in evil deeds. Before God rescues us, we're living not for the glory of God, but for the glory of ourselves. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead to the things of God. You wanted nothing to do with God. And you were formerly walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now at work. Listen to this phrase, in the sons of disobedience. You were not children of God, you were not sons and daughters of the Father, but formerly you were sinful, you were following the pattern of Satan, and you were a son or daughter of disobedience. But look at verse 22. I'm so thankful that the good news begins where the bad news ends. But, yet... God did something about it. See, the promise of the gospel is not just that we have a problem, but we have a problem that God made a way to fix. He, he provided a solution. Verse 22 begins with that beautiful little word, yet or but. Formerly, before, verse 21, you were alienated, you were hostile, you were sinful, you were subject to the wrath of God, but Jesus did something only Jesus could do. Because Jesus is the Son of God who came down and wrapped Himself in our humanity because all the fullness of God, verse 19, dwells in Jesus. Because Jesus came and lived a perfect life and offered Himself on a cross as a perfect substitute to pay the penalty for sin. Look, look at verse 20. The war is over for those who stop living for themselves and start looking to Jesus. Do you see that? It says in verse 20 that Jesus made peace through the blood of His cross. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus ends the war between sinners and God for those who trust in Him as their substitute. 
Sinners deserve the wrath of God. That's our problem. We deserve forever separation from His love. But Jesus came to pay the price of sin with His death. And so last night when we, when we baptized these candidates and we put them all the way under the water, it's because we represented the fact that Jesus went all the way down into the grave. He was totally, completely dead. He didn't just, just fake His death. He took on our humanity and died a human death to be our total substitute so that His death could count in our place. Salvation belongs to those who understand their sin is so serious, it is so awful, so ugly, so vile, so disgusting, that only God coming down to take our place could bring us His love and salvation. The solution to the problem of our alienation and hostility and sin comes through God's provision of Jesus to pay the price of our sin. That's the message of verse 22. Do you see it? Jesus reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. That word reconciled, it's a big word. It's a fancy word. It just means to bring together two parties who were previously opposed to one another. To reconcile, it means that there was a a big chasm, a big divide between God and us. And there was no way we could ever get over that divide. And so God came down and made a way through Jesus, His Son. He sent Jesus to die and pay the penalty for sins so that wretched sinners could be reconciled to an infinitely holy God. You see, church, we're here gathered this morning because of the death of Jesus. Without the death of Jesus, we would be hopeless and we would be helpless. But Jesus came. He came as the provision of God for you to reconcile you to God. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that if this morning, if you're still dead in your sins, if you're still dead in your trespasses, if you still feel the weight of guilt and sin in your life, if you don't know the love of God in your life this morning, the promise of the gospel is this... If, if you'll stop looking to yourself and your wants and your needs and your desires, and instead you'll look to Jesus who died for you, you can go from being alienated to the love of God to being accepted by God. You can go this morning from being an enemy of God to being empowered by God to live for Him. You can go from being hostile toward God to instead being holy like God. This is the purpose of the provision of God's Son, which is our third P, our third gospel essential. We must pursue God's purpose for our salvation. So first, we've got to see we've got a big problem that we can't fix. Second, we need to see that Jesus was sent as the solution for our sin. But thirdly, if God saves us, we don't just sit there and do nothing different. We rest in the power of God to live for His purpose, which is our holiness. Do you see those words in order to, in verse 22? He he died to do something for us. The words in order to signal a statement of purpose. If I tell you this morning, hey, I'm going to go to the beach on a business trip, then your your vision of what I'm going to do at the beach is very different than if I tell you, I'm going to go to the beach in order to relax and take a vacation. In your mind, my packing is very different, right? One, I might be packing a tie, and one, I'm packing some swimming trunks. One, I might be 
packing, oh, I don't know, an extra helping of mints for all the meetings I'm going to have. And another one, I'm packing some sunscreen for the time I'm going to spend on the beach. And if you see me, it takes a lot of sunscreen. The, the statement of purpose is important. Why did Jesus come? Why did He reconcile us to God? He didn't reconcile us to God to stay the same. Verse 18 tells us the primary reason that Jesus reconciles us is so that Jesus would have first place in our entire lives. Not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday as well. That we would wake up and Jesus would be first in our lives. That in our marriages, Jesus would be first in our lives. In the way we raise our children, that Jesus would be first in our lives. In the way that we handle a, a, a bad diagnosis of cancer or sickness, that Jesus would still be first in our lives. When we get bad news or good news, great news or indifferent news, that whatever's going on in our life, that our chief purpose in life would be Jesus. Jesus has first place in everything. You say, why are you smiling? Everything is going bad. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Jesus died for me. Your marriage has been a disaster for the last six months. You're spending so much time together and you were never prepared to do that. What in the world is going on? But I'm still smiling. We're struggling through this together. We're fighting through this together. Why is that? Because it's not about me. It's not about my wife. It's about the glory of Christ. And we're going to stick with this for the glory of Jesus so that He would have first place in everything. That's the primary reason Jesus reconciles you to God. So that you have a supernatural power to live not for yourself, but for Jesus. But there's another reason. And we get it here in verse 22. He reconciles you to God in order to, for the purpose of presenting you before God the Father on the last day, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. The goal of your reconciliation and your forgiveness and your restoration to a relationship with God is not just so you can go to heaven when you die. It is so that you can become more like God in the here and now. This is critically important. So often we're like, man, I just want to pray a prayer and get baptized and then live my life the way I want to live my life and not worry about God. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died so you would become more like God. I, I am not a very good golfer. I want to be a good golfer, but I'm not. But I still enjoy the game of golf. And whenever I go golfing, particularly with someone who's good, I feel bad about that, or badly about that. And the reason I feel badly about that is because, I mean, I could shoot anywhere between a 95 and 155, depending on the day. And that takes a lot of time, right? And, and every hole, I'm like, well, this is going to be the hole that I'm going to become a, a professional golfer. And so I stand over my putt too long from 38 feet, and then I miss it by 37 feet. And it just takes a long time to play golf with Pastor Daniel. And uh, I, if, if you're a golfer in the room, you know that sometimes when you're playing with a bad golfer, it impacts your game. No matter how patient you want to be, no matter how loving and kind you want to be, when you're with someone who's not playing very well, it can sort of bring your game down too. I've done that to a lot of people, and I apologize. It wasn't, wasn't my desire. It's just the opposite with Jesus. When, when Jesus really saves you and pours out His Holy Spirit into your life to apply the death and resurrection of Jesus to your heart and give you new power to live for God, He doesn't bring you down, He brings you up. 
He causes you to look at His life and look at what He did for you and you see ways that your life does not align with His life and over time as you're walking with Jesus and the Spirit is showing you more and more pride and selfishness and anxiety and worry and all these things that crop up in our lives as we walk with Jesus, you spend a lifetime of Jesus making you fit for heaven. He's going to make you more holy and more blameless and more free of accusation as you walk by faith in Christ. You see, Jesus was died, Jesus died rather, and was risen to reconcile you to God, to start a work in your life that goes on for a lifetime. He wants to make you more holy and more blameless, and He wants to present you faultless on the great day of judgment as we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If we could read between the lines here, as in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, if we could read between the lines a little bit in verse 22, here's what Paul is saying between the lines. Don't play around with Jesus. Jesus did not die for your life to be the same as it was formerly. Verse 21, it says, you formerly were this way. Jesus reconciled you to God so you could have a whole new life, a different life, a new way of thinking, a new way of believing, a new way of understanding the world. Jesus died to give you a new life that is different from your old life. If you think salvation is just walking an aisle, signing a card, praying a prayer, but then living a life that has nothing to do with Jesus, then start over. Go back to the beginning of the gospel and understand how bad the problem was. Understand how great God's provision of Jesus is. Reassess your life with Jesus. Think again about it. The death of Jesus is not something we just take lightly. There's a day of judgment that is on the way. And it is those who are pursuing God's holiness, His blamelessness, those who are beyond reproach in Christ that will be able to stand. Holy means set apart for the purposes of God. It means to reflect the character of God. Blameless means free of moral impurities. You say, but Daniel, there's still moral impurity in my life. Every day I I walk with Christ, I find more. That's good. That means God's doing His work of showing you the stuff in your life that He still wants to take care of. But some of you are like, man, I'm good. I, I checked that box when I was 10, and I haven't had a problem in my life since. I've never sinned. Or if I have, it wasn't that big a deal. You're missing the memo. God wants to do a deep work of rooting the moral impurities out of your life. And finally, beyond reproach means free from accusation. If you're here this morning and you understand the gospel, you know that God should have an accusation against all of us. That on the great day of judgment, we should stand before Him and He should say, you're guilty. But the reason He will not accuse us is because the accusation has already fallen on His Son. And so this morning, is your hope in yourself and in your good deeds and in your good works and in the fact that you came to church this morning in the middle of a global pandemic, and I am proud of you for doing that, by the way, but that's not going to be enough to qualify you to stand before the King of glory in the last day. Your only hope will be my, all my trust, all my adoration, all my confidence is in Jesus Christ alone. Church, when we stand in God's courtroom on the last day, It's not going to be what you did that qualifies you to stand. It's going to be what Jesus has done. But I want you to understand this well. If you don't care about holiness in the here and now, if you don't care about pursuing the character of God 
day by day, then that raises a very important question. Is Jesus really your Savior? Jesus did not die to purchase sinners with His blood for them to go on looking like the world. He wants you to look more and more like God. And I pray for each of us that you will be able to stand on that day of judgment with confidence, not in yourself, but in the King of glory. And those who will be able to stand will be those who continue to live by faith in Jesus in the here and now, pursuing the holiness of God in their lives. So we find our fourth gospel essential, the fourth P of the gospel in verse 23. We must heed God's call to persevere in the faith. To understand verse 23, we need to remember false teachers are saying that Jesus is not enough for our salvation. They wanted to add a whole system of human effort and achievement on top of what Jesus has done. You say, well, pastor, you just said I need to pursue holiness. Isn't that right? Yes, but the reason you pursue holiness is for the glory of Jesus, not to make much of yourself. So here's what Paul says in verse 23. Look, if Jesus has rescued you, if you've really been rescued by Christ, if you're no longer who you were formerly because Jesus is making you new, then you're going to keep on walking in the faith. Jesus will be the motivation and the goal of your actions. So when we baptized these new believers last night, they were not saying just that Jesus died in their place, but that they have been made new through His resurrection power. You see, Jesus didn't just die and stay dead. He was raised on the third day. And by that same power, Jesus gives us the ability through His indwelling Holy Spirit to keep on trusting in Jesus to continue in the faith and it's interesting in verse 23 do you see that word you continue if you continue that word you in your new testament most of the time is y'all now I know we don't have southern translations of the bible but that's very unfortunate because in the english you in the first person singular and you in the second person excuse me the second person singular and in the second person plural they're the same word you and you But it's you and y'all, right? Here in Roanoke, Virginia. And Paul, almost all of his epistles, when you see the word you, it's y'all. Aren't you glad that God gave you a church to live the life in? To live out the faith in? Where you can have a bad day, you can have a bad week, you can come to a Sunday school class or to a pastor or to a friend or a brother and sister in Christ, and you can say, I'm having a rough week. And they can call you back to the one who died for you, so that you can continue in the faith. Folks, the the Christian life is personal, but it's never private. Salvation is meant to be a team sport. And if you continue in the faith, if y'all continue in the faith, if you help one another toward the finish line we've been reading about in Hebrews, we will stand before the judgment seat of God and we will not be disappointed. The faith that we're to continue in is rather simple, isn't it? It's incredibly profound, but it's so simple. In Jesus, God did for you what you could not do for yourself. In Jesus, the life, the perfect life that God expects of you has been lived, and He will count it in your place. In Jesus, the death that you should have died and the separation from the love of God you should have known, it has already been 
paid. In Jesus, the resurrection that we long for. Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity on our hearts. We don't want to die. Nobody is born wanting to die. People want to live. They want to live forever. Why do they want to live forever? God set eternity in your heart. And one way or the other, you will live for eternity, either in the wrath of God or in the love of God. And if you'll give your life to Jesus who took your place as your substitute, you can know the love of God forever. And when He returns again, He will raise you up to dwell with Him in glory. That's the Gospel. So how do we continue in the Gospel? In a global pandemic, in a world of problems, in a world of adversity, how do we not lose sight of Jesus? First, we must be firmly established and steadfast. Do you see that in verse 23? These are building construction terms. We don't build our house on the sandy land. We build the house of our life on the rock of Jesus. We've got to build the totality of our lives on the gospel. We've got to remember that our confidence is not in our income, our education, our feelings, our mood, our ability to try harder or to do better. Jesus is our firm foundation. We remain steadfast in Him. Jesus in my place is enough. But second, we must refuse to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. We must refuse to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of distractions in this world. There's a lot of things competing for our attention. I don't know if you remember back in the, in the if you've been around church life long enough, they used to make offering envelopes with check boxes on them. Remember the checkboxes? I call that checkbox Christianity. I brought my Bible this week. I even read my Sunday school lesson this week. I contacted 27 people about coming to church this week. I did all these great things for God this week. And my confidence suddenly becomes in what I do. Rather than what Jesus has done for me. Now it's great to do good things for for the Lord. But our confidence ultimately is not from what we did for Christ. But what Christ did for us. A.W. Tozer once said, Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster can make a man dear to God. The only way we can be dear to God is if we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Our hope is not in angels, it's not in rituals, it's not in self-belief, self-actualization, behavior modification, or anything or anyone other than Jesus who conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And maybe this morning you would say, if you're honest, as you look back at the problem, God's provision, the reason for the provision of Jesus, and the call to persevere in the faith, maybe this morning, if you were honest, you would say, Pastor, there is no formerly about my life. There's nothing former about my life. My life is just my life. I might have walked an aisle when I was a kid. I may have signed a card. I may have thought I prayed a prayer in VBS. But nothing is different about my life than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago. I am the same person I've always been. I'm self-absorbed. I'm walking around for me. I think that what I did with Jesus has me safe and one day I'll be fine. But I don't really think about Jesus. I don't really care about living for Jesus. And I've been awoken to the reality that I'm lost today because there's no formally about my life. My life is my life, and I want a life that belongs to Jesus. I want a life that will stand in the day of judgment because Jesus is standing in my place. What do you do 
this morning if there's no formally about your life. If that's you, don't put off trusting in Jesus for another minute. As we stand in just a moment and sing about the beautiful name of Jesus, if you don't have a confidence that you're living for the name and the glory and the fame of Jesus, you say, I've been living for me. I've been living for my comfort and my glory. And it's, all, it's been all about me, 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 me. And I want to live for the one who died for me so that I can know the love of God and have the power of God to continue in the faith. If that's you this morning, then we'd invite you. Yes, in the middle of a pandemic, I'll put my mask on. It's right over here. I invite you to come and just say, Jesus, I need you. God, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I don't want to be alienated from you anymore. I don't want to be hostile to your purposes anymore. I want you to wash me and make me new and give me the power to live for you until my dying breath or until you come again. If that's your need this morning, then I invite you to come when we stand and sing. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for its simplicity. God, that we had a huge problem and you made an amazing provision through Jesus. And Lord, the, the opportunity is there. If, if we would turn from our sin and devote our lives not to ourselves, but to Jesus and His glory, that He would have first place in everything. God, in a moment, you make us new. In a moment, we go from being what we once were to what we now are because of Jesus. So God, for the Christian who's here, who's getting weary and tired in this crazy season, I pray God that afresh they would be reminded of the charge to continue in the faith. That they would be fixed and firm and establish that Jesus is enough. And that they would keep looking to Jesus. And God, for the for the man or the woman, the boy or the girl who's here, and they would say, my life hasn't been changed yet, but I want it to be changed from this day forward. God, that you would give them the liberty and the freedom to step out from where they are and to tell the whole world, I want to live for the beautiful name of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.